Hi there. Welcome to Village Heights. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we are in week three, as Hannah said, and Christmas chaos. Now, it's usually two words you don't see together, but they work together well <laughs> because Christmas can feel like chaos. There's another thing that also feels like chaos, and it's a beautiful thing, and we talk about it, and sometimes we pass over the chaos part of it. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Having children can feel like chaos, um, even though it's beautiful, and everybody celebrates it. And, you know, when you get engaged and get married, and everybody wants to know, when are you going to have a baby? You know, that, that kind of thing. You know, it's, the pressure starts. And, but one of the greatest privileges that Hannah and I have had is being able to bring two great, honorary, loving, uh, sometimes selfish, sweet, you know, we call them Sour Patch Kids because sometimes they're sour and sometimes they're sweet. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Um, and, but we've had a privilege of bringing them into the world and raising them. Uh, it's not always easy, but it is a delight. Um, if you're wanting to be a parent, there is hope. You know, it's, it's, a, it's not all scary, right? There's great moments in it, but the, sometimes the scary moments can overwhelm. The chaotic moments can overwhelm. But since having children of our own, it's kind of, I, I mean, I say it for myself and probably Hannah too, it changes the story a little bit for us, you know, of Christmas and understanding what it meant to, to bring a delicate baby into this world. Because uh, when, you know, if you remember, like if, it, if you, it's hot on the heels, if you've had kids for a while, everybody asks the same questions, right? They, they, they want to know this information. They want to know, uh, they want to predict if it's a boy or girl. They'll look at you and say, "What? you have heartburn? Or if you have, you know, all these different, you know, is, there, is your hair falling out? It must be a boy. You know, that kind of, they, all, they have these things and they always try to guess. And if you do that, no, you know, no shame or, you know, offense to you or anything like that. But it always cracks me up because I'm like, it's the best odds. It's 50-50. Like, it could go either way, right? And so they like, one of them's right. And I'm like, you didn't know. You just guessed, right? Unless you have the magical wand that the doctor has to, to look inside and see what's there. You know, you don't, you don't really, really know. It's all, you know, kind of guessing. That always cracks me up when that happens. But there is an excitement. Whether you have kids or not, there's an excitement when it comes to new life is coming into this world. Um, different depths of excitement for different people, of course, uh, depending on the person. Because, you know, when I find out that somebody's having a kid or they've had a kid, I go to Hannah and I say, hey, so-and-so had a baby. Isn't that great? And then Hannah asks, she goes, well, how was the labor? Was it, was it a long time? Um, what, 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 are the, what are the stats on the baby? You know, what, what, what happens? Because usually when I say so-and-so had a baby, it's in transmission. Like, it's like, that's all I know, right? That's all the information that I have. Uh, but other, mostly women, uh, want to know more. They want to know the stats. They want to know the height, the weight, how long. I say long because they, they're not really, they can't stand. So you put them down like a fish and you measure them, right? That's kind of, that's how, how it happened. They just lay down. How long are they? Uh, was there any complications? Did they have to induce? Was it a C-section? Was it not? You know, all that kind of, they want to know all this information. I'm just like, I'm 50% sure it's a boy. I, 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 don't, I don't know all these stats, right? Uh, it's usually it's like, um, I, I have no idea. I just know that a human has entered this world. And uh, birth announcements usually contain this info. Like you get the birth announcement. It's like, oh, so-and-so cute, you know, little Tyler or Courtney has been born. And then, you know, they, it was, took this long, this many hours to get them out. Um, and they're healthy and 
you know, they're this long and they have hair, you know, or they don't have hair, you know, that kind of thing. Their eyes are this color, you know, not all that kind of stuff, right? And that, but and it's funny that we do that because that's all you know. Because you have no idea what's going to happen after. Because the growing part is a mystery. You have no idea if they're going to be, have what kind of character they're going to have. You really don't know what their personality is going to be. Sometimes you can guess based on the parent, especially they have strong personalities. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can, you can kind of see, but you don't really know. I'm sure any parent that's had a kid that's gone wayward and done something really bad, you're like, I didn't want this to happen, right? I didn't know this was going to happen. Or their kid becomes really rich and famous for some TikTok video or something <laughs> like that. And you're like, I had no idea that this was going to happen. We don't know. What is going to happen with the babies that are born are human? That's throughout all history, except one baby. There's one baby that we knew exactly what was going to happen. And even so, we knew what was going to happen. We were still surprised. We were still shocked. Didn't happen in the way that we thought it should. This baby, the history was already laid out. For a while. And of course, if you haven't caught on yet, that baby is Jesus. <laughs> we knew exactly what was going to happen with this baby. This birth of Jesus was different. Those first century followers knew a little bit more about him and his future to come. And what he would do, who he would become. They knew that when he was born, he was going to be a king. And they knew that this king was going to be different not like any other king they'd ever experienced before, which was probably hard for them to fathom. Because as humans, we only know what we know, right? We observe, we see things, and, and if we don't see things and we don't observe it, then we don't know that it's even possible. That would, that's what makes illusions and tricks and, and you know, David Blaine, all, you know, all them, it's what makes it so mysterious and fun because you've never seen that happen before. How did they do it? That's kind of how they felt about Jesus. So today, I want to take a look at just how different this king really was and how, diff how the, his difference really mattered, really mattered to us. And you don't really get to choose a king historically. Um, that never really was an option. But this king, right off the bat, you get to choose. This king gives you the opportunity to make a choice. There's never been a kingdom on earth that lets you choose, really, in monarchy or whatever, whatever it is. And this matters to the question that we've been asking throughout this whole collection. You know, if it's personally, is it, is it my king? Is it your king? These circumstances matter to answering that question. And the question is really about surrender. Am I going to live my life building up his kingdom or mine? Am I going to lay down my life regardless of the consequences? That's a hard one. Not knowing the outcome, not knowing if me acting weird and following the Bible and following his teachings is going to change my circumstances at work, at home, whatever it may be. And some of you beyond that have had follow-up questions, good follow-up questions, questions you should ask, is why should he be king? Is he worth following and surrendering everything to? Jesus wasn't just a rabbi or a teacher. 
A lot of great questions. Born to be a king and to be followed. That's who Jesus was. And this is the tension that humanity has been feeling, has been wrestling with for over 2,000 years. You, they had it hard then. It's still been hard because the very presence of Jesus in his kingdom goes against our nature, our sinful and selfish nature, not living for our kingdom in a kingdom that's not based on my wealth and what I can do, but a kingdom that's based on others and how I treat others. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. So as we look at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of those who experience it, that's why the scripture is so important, I believe we'll conclude with, it's worth it, right? Anytime somebody meets with me, and they're like, you know, don't even get started with me, right? I've, I've had my experiences with church. I can't get on board with Jesus. And I'm like, I get that. I'm not saying you have to. It's your choice. You have free will to choose that, but I'm going to recommend it. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, right? And I meet someone, they give me their whole terrible story about church. And I'm like, man, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But if you hang around me, I'm going to encourage you to go back. Like, that's going to happen. I just lay it out, just right out in front. I was like, that was a bad experience. Don't blame God for dumb people, okay? That's just the way I feel about it. Um, so in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. They found no room in the inn. You know, you, you've heard these, these, this part of the story before. So they're in the stable. Jesus the king is placed in a manger, and here is the first announcement of his birth. In Luke 2, 8 through 12, it says, <clears throat> And there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, which is frightening, by the way. Um, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. They needed some comfort. Uh, trust me, if an angel appeared before you, you'd be terrified as well. Today in the town of David, a Savior uh, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. He is the Savior. And that this is what, what the angel is saying. He's confirming, or she, the angel, the, the, that, that being is confirming what you've known what you've heard, what's been prophesied, get ready for it. The Savior who would deliver the world from sin is here. And you're going to see him like this. This is what he's going to look like. But not just a forgiver of sins, but the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of all kings. If they would have broken apart and left out the king part, everybody probably would have been fine with it. Everybody would have been cool, Right? As long as the government did get disturbed, everything was fine. Because the government in this time, like I talked about last week, was fine with whatever you did as long as it didn't take the power away from the government, from the people over them. So he is the Lord who calls us to surrender, follow, and participate in his kingdom. Key word, participate. So the first announcement of the king's birth was to a group of shepherds. And guys, shepherding was not a glamorous job at all, right? And so it was kind of odd that they got the birth announcement. They were the lowliest of lowly. They, they were not fit for royalty. 
much less to be invited to see royalty, right? Their clothes were dirty. They smelt like sheep. And I don't know if you've ever been around sheep. They don't smell good, okay? It's livestock, right? They stink, okay? And so, and so they, it was the least likely of people, not royals, not elite, not worthy to be in presence of a king. Rep, they represented the lowly, humble, everyday group of people. They were who? They were, it was showing that this Savior was not just born for the chosen, but born for anybody, no matter the status. So we found this king, not in a palace, but in a manger wrapped up in claws, a manger that was typically used to feed animals. If you didn't know, that's what it was for, us for feeding animals. Within an hour of the birth of Jesus, we start to see that this king is different. He's not the same. He wasn't born with the silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born and put in the, the nicest of threads. You know, the, the softest. It wasn't, a, you know, a million thread count. You know, whatever it may be. It, it wasn't nice. It was the lowest form that could be offered, if anything was offered. It was the lowest. So the character and heart of this king was different. It was shown in the humility of Jesus entering into this world foreshadowed the heart that he would have for the world. From the start, this king was different. The shepherds went and saw the child. They worshipped him and spread the word concerning that what they had saw. And people were amazed at what they were hearing, what the shepherds had to share. But a question worth asking is, why? What did they know about this child? Why were people so amazed? It wasn't uncommon for a child, you know, amongst poor people to be born in such a way, right? But why, would, why did this matter for this king? What did Messiah mean to them? It was abnormal or rare for a king to consider themselves more than human. Sure, there were dictators. There were people that acted like they were God. And they say that they were God, but they could bleed just like any other human. But this, this was different. It was more than just being born a king. What made Jesus different? What context was informing their view of this child king? What about this child elicited such a response from everybody? So probably the first time they would even hear this, that a child that was born, before they even knew if the child was well, before they even knew if they, they could grow up, what character, this personality this child was going to have, they knew he was going to be king. This is like this was kind of like almost odd news. Almost unbelievable. Almost like is this a trick? What 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 are you trying to get out of me? When they were told by the angel today, it could be translated in and filtered through the almost kind of saying it's time. It's time. It's happening. Whether you whether you know it or not, whether, whether you've been waiting for it or not, it's time. The time is here. It has come. It's upon us. It's finally here. The long-awaited Messiah that you've, been, you've already heard about is here. So the prophet Isaiah also spoke of this, about the birth uh, 700 years before Jesus' birth. And during that time of the prophecy, Israel was actually uh, facing a lot of threat. Okay? There was a growing kingdom, a threatening kingdom in Syria that was around them. 
And so when they heard this prophecy, and we do this a lot, and we, now we've kind of coined the phrase uh, in God's time, like God's never late, right? He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time, you know? <laughs> it always happens right at the time that we need it. So there's a lot of time through history that we will receive information from God, and we'll go, okay, great. Now, now it would be awesome, Lord, like if you could come through. And they were feeling this in this time when this was actually prophesied 700 years before, uh, <clears throat> when they were facing this, this threat from the superpower. But through Isaiah, God gives them hope that a new king and ruler would be more powerful than any government or superpower um, this world has ever seen. And this is what it says. And Isaiah prophesied this to Israel. Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. 700 years before, Jesus was going to be born a king. When he said, for us, a child is born, it's at, as if the proclamation of the angel was a 700-year echo. For 700 years, they had been waiting. The echo started when God spoke to Israel concerning the coming king. And he, called, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And they said his government will be peace. And it will not end. For somebody that is suffering, I mean, even today's standards in a nation, they hear that a king is coming. And they get to have peace. And not just a moment of peace but a peace that doesn't end. That's a game changer. That really changes the situation, how you feel about what's coming next. Isaiah uses four names for this king. He in, he's intending to reveal to us the character, which we've never had with any other human, the character of this king. He was revealing what Jesus would do and what he would accomplish, not to say that he was going to grow up in a nice family and he'll probably be nice, right? There's a good chance that my kids will be funny because I can be funny and, and make jokes. And uh, there's a chance of that, right? It wasn't like that. They're like, no, not only do we know his personality, but we know his character and what he's going to do with it. Exactly what he's going to accomplish. So I kind of want to walk through the four things, the four descriptors of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, now's the the time to start doing it. So Isaiah says that Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor. So Jesus' wisdom, teaching, transcends human understanding, teaching, or anything like that. His direction on life would change every interaction moving forward. So the day, if you are a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower in the room, that's cool. We, you're here, right? You're on a journey with us. But if you are a Christ follower and you made that decision, and not just like, okay, I believe he's real. But if you actually started participating in his teachings, when he says to love your neighbor, right, to, to love your enemies, pray for them, right, all these things, that these teachings, these topsy-turvy kind of situations that Jesus puts us in with his teachings, right, if you started doing that, you were feeling this. You were feeling the, the wonderful counselor, you are feeling the one that, that's always kind of pushing you, and it changes every interaction you have. I believe wholeheartedly, and for somebody that struggles 
with, you know, the hardest thing to get on board with Jesus is that he was fully God, fully man, died, rose again, because we've never seen that in our life, right? We just hear about it from the testimony. We believe the eyewitnesses that were there. And there's a lot of transcripts that back it up. And that's all well and good. But there's something about seeing it for yourself, and it makes it hard, right? So anybody that tells me that, I say, okay, fine. That's the hardest thing to get on board with, and that's cool. Just try his teachings. Because beyond a shadow of the doubt, living as the scriptures say, living the way that Jesus called us to live is the most polarizing way to live your life on this earth. No doubt about it. And to me, in my little secret when I tell them that, there is no way that they can do this and not experience God. No way. It's not, it, it, to me, it's impossible to live in such a way and then go, oh, yeah, we're still just a cosmic oopsie, right? We came from a, 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 a glue or, or, you know, an ooze or something like that. I, it's, it's too good. The design is too good, right? We all have the same arms and eyes and, you know, whatever. Uh, it just makes too much sense to me. So he was fully God, took on flesh, and showed us through the Gospels the ways of God. And Jesus would teach things like, you can't claim to love God and fail to love your neighbor. He would start drawing lines. Belief is only a part of the equation. We are to participate in his kingdom as well. There is strength in weakness. This is another one. And that would seem confusing because weakness kind of defines itself. But if we are alone and we are the cosmic ooze and whatever, then that's just true. However, if we are created and we have a heavenly father, just like we have a parent here on earth who comes behind us and goes, you got this. You know, where, where you fall short, I'll be there. God wants to do that for everything. So it topsy-turvy, it's weird. The wonderful counselor comes along, and in our weaknesses, it's opportunities for our king, our father, to come through in such a big way. It doesn't make sense but it's life-changing. There's strength and weakness. There's life in death when we die to ourselves. Weird statements. Really weird. But it's true. How, when we give ourselves over, we experience life better. We talk about audacious generosity. It's one of our core values. Constantly are talking about this, right? You're probably sick of hearing it. Too bad. You're still going to hear about it because it's about giving ourselves Sometimes what we earn, the things that we can gather, that we think is ours, newsflash, it's not yours. God gave you the talent to do that. It's not really yours. But we have the opportunity to hand it over. When we give of ourselves, we live. We find life when we say no to, uh, to ourselves and yes to following Jesus. The wonderful counselor came to us to teach us, to grow us, to stretch us, to challenge us. And all that to prepare us, lead us, and guide us and show the way that leads to life. All this because the king would care deeply about your life and mine. Also different that a king would actually care about its subjects. Different, very different. How fitting it was that later Jesus would say this about himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So rather than sit on his throne and, and sign decrees and say, this is the way you got to do things now, he would meet his people where they are. Totally different. 
inviting them to follow, inviting them into a relationship with him. This king is so different. Isaiah would go on to say um, this child would be called mighty God. Those were big words because we're humans, right? Kings were always humans. To be mighty God, the Savior King, born in a manger, meek and mild, also mighty and majestic. Doesn't make sense. Possessing all the power of God while Jesus was born a human, he did not lose his godliness, his godness. Instead, he took on human likeness, and in a way, we could understand, right, him a little bit, but we still can't understand how it worked, both fully God and fully man all at the same time. Mighty God. When we are weak, scared, in distress, unsure, or in in the middle of a battle, Jesus, the mighty God, is with us. When we're, life is going good and it's comfortable, we're feeling strong, it's really easy to go, I got this. But it's when life breaks down. The bank account is not as full as we remembered it. I've lost this resource. There's trouble in my family. We're facing a pandemic. Sound familiar? Um, you know, there's, there's war. It, war is coming. It's very possible. All of a sudden, everybody wants the mighty God. Even the ones that don't believe in him are like, yes, let's pray. Let's sing. Let's gather on the steps of the White House and let's sing, right? Everybody wants a mighty God when the time is right. But Jesus is the mighty God who is with us. The mighty God that promises to be with you. Not to make all your circumstances go away the way you want them to. But to stay with you in the midst of what you're facing. If he didn't really care about you, he would just, I'll make it go away. Don't worry. Just keep worshiping me. No, he wants to grow you. He wants to build your character. He wants to help you show the other humans on earth that he is real and he loves you through this relationship. He says, I'll be the anchor of hope to get you through. And he promises to be with us to the very end of age. Don't let, this is something that happens a lot with Jesus and when we celebrate Christmas because a lot of people, they're like, I don't want the grown-up Jesus, the bloody one. I want the sweet six-pound, eight-ounce, you know, in a manger, cooing Jesus. That, that's, that's the Jesus they want. But I will say, don't let the meekness of the manger fool you. He is God. Jesus humbly came in the form of a man, the needs of others before his own. Let's not get it twisted. He is still, always will be the mighty God, regardless of what we define him as or treat him. This king will be different. Isaiah continues and goes on to say that Jesus will be called everlasting father. This savior will care for his people forever. I love the descriptor uh, coming right after mighty God uh, because Jesus is God, powerful, strong, and mighty, yet he is personal and loving also, just like a father. I I don't know a a good father that wouldn't run to the aid no matter how old their kids are, no matter how much it was their kid's fault, (laughs) that their kids are in a situation, a circumstance. A good father would come regardless. And they would offer everything that they have 
to help their children, to save them. That is a mighty God, an everlasting Father. He came to offer a relationship. This king was not interested in religion. This Savior likes spending time with you. Sounds weird, right? A king that wants to spend time with you. He loves you endlessly and extravagantly. There's nothing you could do to change his love for you because you didn't do anything to earn his love for you. He loves you anyways. And there's nothing that you can do to earn his love. Because to get into heaven, to be connected with God, back with our creator, you got to be in relationship with him. And to be in relationship with God, you got to love him. That's one of the, the reasons in a roundabout way, in a big way, and it it'd be defined like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, hey, can I, how much will it cost to get into heaven? He's basically asking, how much will it be to buy God's love? And he, told, he tells them, you don't have enough. Sell everything you have and follow me. You might get there if you're trying to earn it. You ain't got enough. There's not enough money in this world to buy his love. Because, newsflash, he made it. <laughs> he, he already owns it all. Um, because you didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus desires our, a relationship with you. A king that wants to know you personally. That's a different kind of king. Isaiah closes the list by calling him Prince of Peace. And it's a fitting in to the list of names. It's the, kind of the climax of the list. Jesus came for us to have peace with God, but also to have peace with each other. And this ugly thing called sin that separated us from God, that was this constant reminder that we're not worthy and we're, we're distant from him. He came to bridge the gap and say, no, I'll take care of the sin part. I'll take care of that for you. And not just the sins that you've done, the sins that you're going to do. And animal sacrifices are not going to be enough because you're going to sin a lot. You're going to run out of animals, right? He says, I'm going to come to be the ultimate sacrifice. Not just for what you know you're going to do, but what you don't even know the things that you're going to do in the future. How selfish you're going to be. How you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to do the things that you never thought you would do. He died for that already. The ultimate sacrifice to bring peace. Jesus was sent to reconcile for us, to our Heavenly Father, the king would be born to die as a sacrifice, but then would do the impossible. He would give our faith immovable foundation by rising from the grave. That's truly one of the only absolutes that we have in life is death. And we cannot escape it. We might be able to prolong it, life. We might be able to, you know juke it for a little bit, but eventually you're going to die. I'm sorry to say that. Hannah, anytime I'm not feeling good or Hannah says, you feel okay? You dying on me? And I was like, it's someday. <laughs> eventually. Because I'm a little more dead than I was just a couple of seconds ago when I started this message, right? I know it's dark. I'm sorry. But it's true. <laughs> That's just kind of my humor sometimes. In, <laughs> in the resurrection, he would defeat the power of sin and death so that we could have peace with God and be able to live in relationship with God and have the opportunity to spend eternity with God, no longer defeated by sin, not held down by death. 
What a prince of peace. And we disqualify ourselves from this gift all the time. If you ever felt like God is mad at you, he's not. He might be disappointed in your actions. He might be wanting you to come back. He's not mad at you. You're his kid. If you've ever felt like you've messed up too much, you haven't. There's a guy named Paul (laughs) who killed Christians. He hunted Jesus to the point where Jesus had to say, hey, why? Why are you hunting me? Stop it. And he blinds him for a couple days, right? It's really cool. You should read about that. Um, So if you think that you've messed up too much, you haven't. Um, If you ever wondered if it's too late to come back, as long as you have breath in your lungs, even if the breath is not strong, if you've got a little bit of oxygen, you're able to pull in and out and your blood pumps a little bit, it is not too late. Not too late at all. Because the Prince of Peace came to do a work that would change everything. This king made it clear what the litmus test was. Our peace with God was determined by how we live at peace with others. You can't claim to love God, yet fail to love the person that Jesus died for. And that's every human, even the ones that are hard to love, including your boss and that aunt and your un- that uncle, right? You know, yeah. oh, that, that troublesome sibling, you know, all of them, the ex, even the ex, like God loves them. Jesus died for them. The message of Jesus is love as he has loved us. The message of Jesus is that I am for you, not against you. The Prince of Peace came to give us peace with God, calling us to live at peace with others. This king is so different. This king would be a wonderful counselor who guides his people, a mighty God who strengthens his people, an everlasting father who loves his people, a Prince of Peace who saves his people. And so the application for us The application for you and for me and now in this time is that we go back 700 years to the moment when Luke documents for us, 2,000 years for us, 700 years from the the angel, documents for us when the angel appears to the shepherds in the fields. I'll read it again, Luke 2, 11 through 12. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Finally, the time has come in the town of David. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has been born to you. Not for a lineage, not for a a kingdom here on earth, but for you personally. The long-awaited one is finally here. He came down and was born for you and for me. Christmas celebrates the miraculous reality that the King of Kings has made himself available, accessible, and approachable to you. No king like that before. He made himself all those things available, accessible, and approachable to me, to your neighbor, to your kids, to your mom and dad, to your coworkers, to those far from God, and those on the outside, the sinner, the marginalized, the wanderer, all of them, everybody. So we come back to the words of John. 
John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And this is what John's telling us. He's saying, I am an eyewitness. I saw the glory, the honor, and the splendor. I watched Jesus' life through His miracles, death, and resurrection. I saw it. And it was un, an unlikely king and unlikely anything I had ever seen. Yeah. I'm just telling you, this is what John's saying. This king is different. He's going to be different. So what kind of king leaves his throne? What kind of king would join his people in their mess? What kind of king would subject himself to the limitations of people? What kind of king would willingly give up his life for his people? What kind of king would give up his life for the very people who killed him? What kind of king? Only a different kind of king, one on a mission. John 1, 16-17 says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the shepherd's response makes way more sense now, right? King Herod's response of feeling threatened makes way more sense now. In the eyes of us mortals, Jesus beats all the odds. He shattered all the expectation. A king born in this way, a king who dwelt, served, and sacrificed for his people, a king at the hands of the people, he came to save, let his life go. That's not supposed to work that way. It doesn't make sense. But this king is different. This king who was born to die and, and, and didn't stay dead, this king established a kingdom that would never end. And this king invites you and me to be a part of that journey, to be a part of that kingdom. You get the choice. It doesn't matter if you were born in the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you, you were opposing to the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you've never heard of the kingdom. You were invited to be a part of that kingdom. That's unheard of. That doesn't happen. He invites you and me to lay down our lives and follow him. He invites you and me to build up his kingdom that will never end. Do you realize that? That's the only work that you could ever do on earth that will last forever. The, the seeds that you plant, the souls that you affect has eternal implications. Every other thing, every house you build, every car you drive, everything, the bank account that you fill up will all waste away. But the kingdom will never stop. It will never end, regardless. So what will your response be? What will your response be to this king who has made himself available, accessible, and approachable to you? What will your response be to the king who extends grace to you? What will your response be to the truth of how his kingdom works? What will your response be to the king who has invited you to come in and not just be in the king, but be close to him, to have a personal relationship with him? Because the invitation is there, and even God has never been on your, if your radar. He's always been waiting, no matter where you are. 
it's not too late to accept the invitation. So if you are a believer and you are in this room, how are you operating in that kingdom? So I challenge you over this Christmas, as we close out today, evaluate your actions. If you all of a sudden had to wear a stamp, a patch, some kind of uniform that stated that you're a part of God's kingdom, how would that change your behavior? How would it change you, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your family, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat your boss? If you're a manager or not, how do you treat the people under you? How does, that cha- how does it change how you treat the, the stranger on the street? How does it change? Evaluate it. And let this Christmas be the Christmas that you decided to follow the king that didn't make sense. The king that was different. And let it not just change your life, but change every life around you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to be a part of this amazing kingdom. This kingdom that it's so good, it doesn't seem real. (laughs) This kingdom that is so amazing and so life-changing that sometimes we resist it because we're almost scared about how great it is. Lord, I pray that this Christmas, this season, if there's any doubt in us, if there's any hesitation in us, that we would find the guts, find the fortitude, find the, the willpower to take that next step and really dive into your kingdom. And Lord, that we We don't get distracted, but we stay locked in on your kingdom so that we get to see how everything changes around us because, Lord, it can't change without you. And it can't stay the same with you. So, Lord, help us find what that is. Help us to not be distracted by all the other chaos and focus on the true chaos that changed this world. And that was you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you for being born in the way that you've done. God, thank you for sending your son for us. We celebrate you today and through this season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.